This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, July 29th, 2009. I'm Caleb Brown. The Cato Institute's Cato University is being held this week in Rancho Bernardo, California. Cato University allows attendees to learn from and interact with scholars who share their passion for liberty. The conference, Economic Crisis, War, and the Rise of the State, was opened by Cato Institute Senior Fellow Tom Palmer. He gave those gathered a taste of the emerging threats to liberty in the United States and around the world. We should expect assaults on our private savings, on our investments and retirement accounts, as the state begins to drown in red ink. This happened in Argentina, where the entire private investment and retirement system was confiscated by the state. And they did it, of course, to protect people from the unpredictability of the market by giving them the absolute certainty of confiscation. (laughs) And of course, the huge expenditures on state health care that are being proposed. There is some dawning realization in some parts of the electorate, not yet in the Obama administration or Nancy Pelosi's office, that you can't actually give free medical care to everyone, expand medical coverage, and cut the amount of money spent. Turns out that isn't possible. I recall I was mentioning at dinner here uh, one of my favorite recent headlines from one of the Washington papers, I think it was the Post. Uh, Obama urges agencies and states to spend a trillion dollars quickly, but wisely. And I remember seeing that and I thought, I think I could spend a trillion dollars quickly, but not wisely. And if I spent it wisely, it certainly would not be quickly. But we're going to have both, both quickly uh, and wisely. All of that money, all of these new state health care expenditures, of course, are being spent to save us money. You read the articles and the arguments. It's going to save us a fortune. And have you ever noticed that tax cuts are presented? They will cost the Treasury. After all, they're tax expenditures. They're money that isn't being taxed, but could be. Well, that's like spending money, right? But every time the state proposes to spend money, it's a savings. Because by spending the money now, we'll avoid having to spend more money later. So the more we spend, the more we save. And the more you tax, the more you're cutting expenditures. Because you're cutting wasteful tax expenditures which most of us call our stuff, <laughs> right? What, what we earned, what belongs to us, is called in Washington a tax expenditure because they decided not to tax it from you. Now, we should also get ready for increasing intervention into the operations of private business firms. There is proposal for a pay czar some kind of imperial official with arbitrary power to determine what employees of firms are going to be paid. Because actually, they just know better. But it means that the presumption of liberty is being completely reversed. The presumption of liberty, which was the foundation of the, we could use the old-fashioned term, liberal idea. You should be careful in the United States using that word. 
I'm not referring to Hillary Clinton's political philosophy, but Adam Smith's. The idea was, it was presumed you may do what you want with what is yours unless there's shown to be a good reason to stop you from doing so because it harms someone else, for example. But the presumption is the state must justify its action. There's no necessity for you to justify your behavior. That is being completely reversed, again, as we speak. Instead, you must demonstrate to the state that you should be allowed to do that. And the burden of proof increasingly is on you, not on the state. We have an increasing presumption of power. Get ready also for ever-increased reliance on new smart technologies to track the behavior, travel, expenditures, and personal habits of Americans. The motto for the new technologically advanced state is, if we can, we should. And they can do a lot with new technologies available to them and expect them to do exactly that, to monitor our spending habits, to intervene into our bank accounts, to track our visits to disapproved websites, and more. Financial privacy is likely to be much more difficult to maintain. We should also expect greater restrictions on freedom of speech and on public dissent from government policies. Private citizens in the United States are already restricted in their support for candidates uh, for office, or even for buying an advertisement that merely mentions the name of the candidate within so many days of the election. Voluntary donations, we're told, from the citizens allegedly distort the discussion. But certainly, no more than actually holding power, having the bully pulpit, being able to hand out the taxpayer's money, and having the reins of power in your hands. The attack on private organization of political opposition has had a huge impact on American politics, greatly increasing the rate of incumbent re-election, which may be one reason why incumbents like it so much. There is effectively one party in the United States, it's called the incumbent party, and they will act to do what is necessary to protect incumbents. Nowhere was this ever made more evident than in the state of California, when it was announced, when they redistricted, gerrymandered would be the correct technical term, the uh, boundaries of the state assembly and senate districts, it was made very explicit, we did this to protect every seat, Republican and Democrat. And although the Republicans were the minority party, all the Republicans in that party were incumbents. And of course, they signed on to protection of their seats through gerrymandering. We should expect more restrictions on the private media in the name of fairness. The Fairness Doctrine is being dusted off. A Representative Pelosi wants to make sure that she can put people off the air if she thinks that their expressions are offensive, if radio stations are not broadcasting in the public interest, and we have a pretty good idea what that is going to mean uh, as a consequence. And at the academic level, increasing calls among the professoriate, law professors, and so on, for similar restrictions on print media. How dare the New York Times express their views, their corporation, and that distorts public discussion if a corporation is allowed to express their views in the editorial pages of their paper. So in my view, free speech is very much at risk in the next decade. But the suppression will come in the name of fairness 
ensuring that all the discussions are reasonable, they're balanced, and they're not offensive to anyone. Of course, voluntarily funded research and advocacy groups are also on the agenda for control, as they already are in many countries of the world. Ideas, opinions, and information are only allowed when they are in accord with the view that vests more and more power in the state, which usually means when they are produced by the organs of the state itself. After all, would you let someone go around eating poisonous food? No, if you saw someone eating a plate of poison, you would stop them. Well, shouldn't you stop them if you see them ingesting poisonous ideas? I mean, which is more important after all? We mustn't allow people to disagree with the trend of vesting more and more power in the state. Now, one of the trends that I consider to be very worrisome on the horizon is the trend towards protectionism. I was in London during the G20 meetings uh, to outline the case for free trade. And of course, all the assembled grandees insisted that they were going to resist the trend toward protectionism. They would make sure that this did not happen. The World Bank Institute released a report around that same time that showed that already 17 of the 20 and the G20 had instituted new forms of protectionism. It already had happened before they went to London to say, we're going to make sure that this does not happen. Tariff rates are rising. Trade wars are already underway. And not just between some small countries far away that you probably haven't heard of, but between the United States. Think by American laws and our neighbors to the south and north, Mexico and Canada. And very few people seem terribly shocked by this. We should remember the Smoot-Hawley tariff and the catastrophic impact that it had in not only the United States, but around the world. U.S. exports fell 50% after the passage of Smoot-Hawley. Uh, within two years, uh, world uh, 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 international trade around the world had fallen by 70%. That accounts for a substantial amount of what we call the Great Depression. Tom Palmer is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. You can learn more about Cato University at cato.org.